You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now, here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. Ray Collins is an ocean photographer from New South Wales, Australia. His surfing photography caught the attention of editors and he went on to photograph some of the world's greatest surfers and mightiest waves. A life change in 2012, which we're going to talk about later, got him to reapproach his photography and his message. His gorgeous abstract details, portraits as he calls them, of waves are about the most powerful image of the ocean you may ever see, and they brought his work into the realm of galleries, fine art photography, and book publishing, specifically the books Water and Light and Found at Sea. His work explores the complexities of water and light with gusto, but he notes, my aim is to show the ocean as a living, breathing thing, to document it in all its intimidating strengths and to bring awareness to its delicate fragility. It's worth noting Ray is an ambassador for Aquatech in Epson, Australia, and he is supported by Nikon, Patagonia, Defin, and Sun Zappa. Welcome to our show. Uh, you are you are back home right now in Australia, right? Yes, thanks for having me. Good morning from Australia. Let's start with two seemingly important life events that played a big hand in getting you where you are today as a photographer. The first was a mining accident, and the second was your decision to stay sober. And what's the connection between the two, if there is any? And how did that affect your photography? If, if I'm assuming you were already a photographer, but tell us if you weren't. Well, the mining accident... Uh, happened at my old work, which I worked in an underground coal mine. Uh, that's as as kind of odd as it sounds. It's uh, a kilometer or three quarters of a mile straight down in an elevator shaft. And then it's about 20 kilometers in through a series of tunnels. Uh, I was working um, all alone, isolated. And I had a grade three lateral meniscus tear, uh, which kind of Basically, at the time, it was uh, an extreme amount of pain and I was um, in the fetal position on the ground um, wondering what was going to happen next. Um, That injury, uh, that workplace accident, was the reason I started photography. It it happened in 2007 and the time that I had um, where I couldn't drive or I couldn't walk and I couldn't be active, that was the time where I uh, bought my first camera. And I read the manual backwards and forwards and really just pulled bits of information out of it, learned how shutter speed and ISO and aperture all work together. And I had my dog as a muse and (laughs) she was kind of my introduction to photography in many ways um, from that, you know, bad uh, blessing in disguise. You had no connection to photography before this? This is something that just came to you or this is something that was always in the back of your mind? 2007, I had no connection to photography. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, what I find really striking is the fact that you've gone from a coal mine to the, the, probably the most opposite kind of environment that you can get into being out in the ocean, in the ocean, taking pictures of waves crashing over you as opposed to being, you know, a mile or two down and across just in the bowels of the earth in coal. Man, it was like I was living a double <laughs> life. I, it was my black life and blue life. Wow. Now you had this accident. Now is the sobriety tied into that too? Is this all part of one big life shift for you or was that, you know, just something that came down as a result of it or in addition to? If you look at a a timeline of my life up to this point, they're not, um, they're not related in any way. One happened in 2007 and one happened in 2012, but they, they were both gentle, well, not so gentle corrections on, on the path I was meant to take. So they were just, um, yeah, just things that I needed to stop and listen to with, with the alcohol. I was 30 years old and I'd kind of been, you know, drinking with my buddies since I was about 15 or 16. So basically half of my time on earth was spent, uh, Fridays and Saturdays, either having a couple of beers at a barbecue or being hung over the next morning. And I thought, well, there's got to be more. I've got to, I've got to see like, this can't be it. It can't be 15 years of, uh, being a child then 15 years of kind of just living in a haze. And if you look at, uh, alcohol in my genetics and my DNA, my, my mother was, uh, the 11th or 12th or 13th child from Russia and, and half of her brothers and sisters are all dead from 
alcohol-related disease and misadventure. And, and my father also, uh, he took his own life and I believe that he was battling with uh, a lot of substance abuse and whatnot as well. Um, so I thought to myself, uh, maybe it's up to me to break this chain. And looking back now, uh, it was by far the biggest and best decision I'd made because as we're all photographers here, we know that the golden light in the mornings and in the afternoons is the very best time to get those rich contrasts and colors. And I was kind of wasting that by being either too lazy from having drinks the night before to get up and watch the sun and shoot the waves or, um, being, you know, at out and about on the town when I could have been, uh, dedicating my efforts to something a lot more pure. You seem to understand the language of water and form and shape and light. Um, How'd you get in the water, basically? What brought you there? It's all I have ever known. It, like I said, not not having a f- my father around, it, it was the place that I went to to learn a lot of life's lessons. It's it taught me it taught me so many things. It taught me like the true value of patience because you can't override this this massive force that's way bigger than you. You just have to sit and wait it out. It taught me respect. It, it, it showed me how uh, life can be when you're truly in tune with things and, and how to go with the flow. And from the very earliest memories of my life, uh, the ocean has been there and uh, it's all I've known. There's no, um, yeah, there's no other way that I've experienced life, but by being near the shore and photography was the, introduction to documenting it otherwise i'd still be surfing and and all of that other stuff my life would still revolve around the ocean but i have a vehicle to capture it and to share it with the world now and and was that when you when you took the camera out into the ocean was it kind of immediate you realized everything's clicking and this is what you wanted to be doing or did it take a while a couple of uh, trial and errors it, it felt uh, so natural. It, it was one of the most natural uh, progressions I've ever felt. It, it was almost effortless. And within a couple of weeks, I remember just talking to my sister and kind of explaining that I'm, you know, I've bought this camera, I've bought this water housing to put the camera in, and I'm going to aim to get a photo published in in the next 12 months. It's, I don't really care if it's buried in the back of a magazine as a postage stamp, black and white t- with, you know, I, I don't care. I just want to get something published so I can tick that off the list. And within a couple of months, um, I had my first cover shot and starting balls were rolling and, um, yeah, it, it really took me by surprise. And, um, that were <laughs> at the time, some of the most fondest memories walking into uh, a news agent and seeing something you created staring back at you from the shelf and just being like, wow, this is it. Were these first shots, um, uh, surfing shots or were they of waves? The first shot that you sold? Uh, it was of my friend, Michael, who wasn't really a sponsored surfer, uh, or anything at the time. So it made it even kind of more, uh, dramatic that they would put him on the cover of a magazine. Um, so yeah, it was purely surfing, but even looking back now, looking through the kind of, uh, the fabric of my early work, it it really was, the waves were always the star of the show. The, the person who was on them surfing, they were just there to complete the composition to add scale and to give it kind of a focal point. And yeah, I mean, I started shooting, my, my friends who also worked in the mines or worked in heavy industry who happened to be really good surfers. And over the time I ended up working with, yeah, some of the biggest names in the sport, guys like, um, Kelly Slater, who was kind enough to write the intro to, uh, found at sea, my first book. I'll always be grateful that the world's best surfer of all time would spend a couple of minutes to jot down some nice things about Hmm. uh, myself and my work. And, and yeah, I I just, Yeah. yeah. So you had, you had noted that, uh, you know, risking personal safety was important to getting some of your better shots. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Do you, I mean, other than just, you know, the obvious being in, in the surf with, with surfers around, but uh, were you doing something that was, was way crazy? Well, this has given me time. Like, like the time since all this happened, uh, it's given me a lot of uh, options to reflect. And I feel like mm-hmm. the risk management protocols that I followed underground and how to analyze hazards and minimize them to an acceptable level. I feel like mm-hmm. 
that has also transferred into the ocean side of things. Like you're always calculating and the thin line of safety is, is pretty fluid. So you're, you're doing your best to kind of stay safe, but understanding that, you know, the worst case scenario can happen. And in that moment of flux and safety and excitement, that's kind of, that's my studio. That's where I'm, um, I'm set up and I'm waiting for, for something to happen. How do you control safety in when you are in the midst of that much energy? That's exactly right. You are in the midst of that much energy. You just you, you just have to sit in these little pockets and just feel the movement and feel the cycle of the waves. And yeah, it's a it's a constantly dynamically moving situation. And I feel like uh, John Appleseed can't just walk out and jump into situations like this because he, he will certainly die within within seconds. Um, but having the experience, having the kind of relationship with the ocean, I feel like the moods that it presents, you, you learn about it and they're kind of imprinted over time after time after time. And that is a big part of being comfortable is, is being exposed to something. But I can see it from your angle, and uh, and sometimes I'd look at stuff that people have shot, and I, and if you can see me in the frame, and I'm like, wow, am, am I an am I an idiot? I mean, I don't need to answer that question because oftentimes I am, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of baffling sometimes. And when you're in you know in these moments when you're kind of you know in the chop and 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 you, but you find that sweet spot, I mean. Now you got to add the addition to a, you know, of a large, heavy camera. And I guess my question want, wants to go toward this idea of, you know, how aware of the image that you're taking are you at that moment? You know, do you kind of realize, wow, I just got a good one there and, and or are you just shooting away or is it something that's even impossible to really know until you get back and, and look at it later? Uh, it's, it's, it can be a combination of all of those things. For me, the photo that I will edit and publish or print that that pressing the button down to make that image is not the start of the process it's three quarters of the way in uh because before i can push that button down there's a lot of um research and a lot of tracking storms and checking tides and wind and even the path of the sun at certain times of year if if you're looking at a globe you're watching storms uh, appear, you know, in the Atlantic and Pacific and Indian Oceans. That that's like um, that's kind of one of my favorite things to do because I can then plot where where I think the waves will kind of end up being the nicest or the biggest or the most cleanest, and I can look at a part of a coastline and know that okay, so if I'm here by you know May the sixth, uh, that looks like the biggest day of the thing. So I might try and you know, get there and uh, do all that stuff, take the photos. And what what's the zone that you tend to work? Are you, you know, do you work a lot close to your home? Are there particular beaches or, you know, how, how well do you get to know the areas you're shooting in, at least for the, the wave series? I feel like different places and different countries, that they all have different personalities and I can mm-hmm. see like the ocean or the waves and kind of almost know uh geographically where that may be like i can tell a wave that's in hawaii over a wave that's in portugal like pretty pretty easily and pretty quickly um so i have a few certain favorite places that i tend to go to uh each year and for for that reason because it is in a way predictable um but yeah, you can do everything you can to plan all this stuff. You just have to show up then and let mother nature kind of have the last say. So a lot of these photos then are, are really from all over the world. Yeah. Yep. I've um, been fortunate enough to shoot all through Europe, uh, Iceland, Mexico, um, <laughs> New York, uh, far Rockaway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those pictures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah all, all over. And but, you know, I can walk down into my street with no forethought, no planning, and also get uh, an amazing image that I didn't expect yeah. or plan for. So it, there really is no hard and fast rule. I just uh, I do as much work as I can and just show up and uh, hope, hope for the best, really. How long would a usual, you know, session out in the ocean be? I mean, I'm sure it's different all the time. But, you know, if you really say, all right, today I want to get out there and I really want to take advantage, how long will you stay out? 
uh, until the light goes bad. Generally, um, with mm. yeah, I, I'm, I'm dictated totally by uh, the sun, I guess, and you know some kind of external lighting. But that that is the basis of all my work. The the two ingredients are water and light, and that's um, that's what I'm doing. So, but I can definitely spend uh, eight hours swimming, no no problems. Um, that's mm. that's something that I've done, and uh, just put like a, a chocolate bar up up my sleeve in my wet and, uh, <laughs> and we're good to go. That's great. Most, all of your photographs, and, uh, it seems with the exception of a few monochromatic images are color. Uh, and the color is part of the magic of these pictures, uh, especially the one towards sunrise and sunset. We have that gorgeous gold against the blue. Have you ever worked in, in monochrome for any of these? Because I could see black, the, all of these images, not some of them, but just about all of them that I'm looking at would be equally strong in black and white and maybe even a little bit stronger. And I know you also mentioned you're colorblind, which I don't think really would affect what you're doing here in any way. It's not textiles that you're doing. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I, I The colorblindness thing is kind of a weird one because that, that, once again, that's all I've ever known. There was no moment before or after that I can compare it to. So, you're not um, missing much. I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I tend to focus on the belief that I might be deficient in one area of sight, but I, I feel like maybe that's given me a unique kind of ability for maybe contrast or textures or uh, compositions. So it's funny that you say that uh, with it being black and white, because I do often check, I, I'll, I'll drag the saturation sliders to zero to just, just have a look at what it could be in black and white. And sometimes it stays there and then, yeah, but uh, I can't do all of them black and white because, or maybe I can, I don't know, but uh, yeah. I, they, they would all be, I'm looking, I'm scrolling as, as we're talking and every single one of them is a very powerful composition, which is, uh, I mean, not easy to do when you are in fact bouncing around and getting jostled by your subject, which is a lot bigger and more powerful than you are. You know, you also mentioned earlier that, um, uh, getting people in these shots for scale. And I, I appreciate that, especially with landscapes and cityscapes. Sometimes you have one person and you just, it just puts everything in perspective, but what I find particularly interesting about your photographs is that the waves themselves have such form and you know the energy that's in it and the fluidity of them. They don't need people for scale. They are, they are unique unto themselves and their very shape and their structure and the explosive qualities of some of them. That's all it needs. It would be nice to see, oh, and look how, how big it is because look how tiny this person is. It, doesn't matter in here. Sometimes it, you need that person. Your shots, you don't need that. Yeah, these are something different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, thanks, thanks heaps. I, um, that's taken a long time to, to come to this kind of moment. Well, what, do, what do you look for when? I mean, when you're in your edit and you're going back and looking at, it, is I mean, what is it that would stand out in one over the other that is gonna? I mean, as I was saying, or at least thinking about this idea of that. I think Alan's hinting at it. it gives you this idea to let your imagination run wild and, and see mountains or I, I'm seeing animal shapes, things like that. But uh, you, you always know what it is, you know, and then you get this giant feeling of, oh man, if this thing came crashing down on you, there's that intimidation factor. But what do you look for to, to make one a little bit, you know, different, better than the other if possible or something you want to publish? Um, I don't know. There's some, sometimes these images have this thing about them and this decisive little thing that's, it's hard to explain, but I guess it's a point of difference and that's something that will draw your eye into it. That's what I look for. Um, most of the time, the waves themselves haven't even broken yet. It's the anticipation mm -hmm. of what's going to happen next. And right. that's why you question it because you want resolution. You want to solve what's going to happen next. And that's what art should be. It should make you interact with it in some way. And that's kind of my aim is, is to get people like kind of tilting their heads and, you know, just what is actually happening here. And that's like, okay, I've done my job with that one. And, um, yeah, that, that's, it's not <laughs> that's all, answer, it's not all uh, white sand and palm trees, you know, like it's this scaling cliffs and, and, and jumping out, uh, off, you know, the side of mountains into the ocean and, and getting it done some, some mornings. It's really odd. Yeah. It really is a matter of just guessing and going by intuition and it's hit and miss a lot of it. And when it happens, it's magic, but you can't do it again too. Each one of these is 
perfectly unique. It's so true. It's it's an ephemeral moment that it, it is and it was and it, it'll never be again. And uh, yeah, I just I, I I can't believe that I get to wake up and do this. I can't believe this is my job. Like, are, are you actually kidding? I get to go my, my I get to go out in the ocean every morning and and make a living out of that. Like, sign and, me and up. People I, from I the other side of the planet call you and talk about it. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of wanted to follow up a, a little on what Alan was talking about and, uh, and, and say, you know, you're, you're Ray, you're the expert. I mean, you've been in there, you grew up here, you're there day in, day out making these images. Do you feel a little bit more that you have an anticipation, you know, when, when that wave is coming or you're looking two or three breaks down, does that, or is Alan totally right? It's just kind of a, you know, roll with it and, and we see what we get later. So I, I tend not to try and think or overthink I, it's almost like a, a practice of uh meditation in a way I, I just forget what i should be doing and just wait for the movements left and right until i don't know a moment kind of happens i'd really try not to invest mm. too much time or thought or control over it and just like you said it is kind of an intuition thing and the more the the, the more you kind of switch off from thinking about it the more uh, kind of organic it is, I, I feel. And mm. I don't know, I don't even feel like I'm a photographer sometimes. Like I'll, I'll shoot for months and then I won't pick up a camera for three or four months. It, it's so odd, but I'll have a backlog of images that I can just sit and edit and, and go through and, and catch up on other things. But yeah, most people when they have a holiday or when they need some time away, they go to the beach, but I kind of go the opposite way. I go into the mountains and just... <laughs> experience like <laughs> a, a totally different do you shoot a lot when you're, I mean, when you're in that when you're in that moment and you're and you're making images do you do you shoot a lot do you keep that finger on, on the shutter or do you say you know i'm gonna do this one yeah i i i feel like you know i'm using a d850 now and that's eight frames a second it, it's way more than enough to get yeah. that decisive moment if you know when to push your finger down like you you only need uh you know a frame or a couple of frames to to do that so i try and be kind of uh yeah try to hold back a little bit and just wait for the moments but sometimes you know it's spray and pray as well so <laughs> yeah yeah do you also shoot underwater i mean I know my, you, shoot, you know just underwater but do you go down deep my love for the ocean is surface deep <laughs> all of the mm. big bad <laughs> massive animals and whatever else i try not to think about that stuff and just be you know just be this little cork floating on the top of the ocean and uh and taking you know just having my moment and just pretending the rest of it doesn't exist so there's a real uh i don't know dissonance that you have to kind of practice because if you really think about what's yeah. happening out there it's it's absolutely terrifying and i want absolutely no part of that so yeah my love for the ocean although it's so vast and so wide it's it's very surface deep something i was curious about that i noticed when going through your uh, your photographs your waves you name each of them gravity hook uh turner heavens green peaks you don't you don't go in for the typical you know wave number 107 inner nairobi which is the snootier way of doing it but you actually <laughs> give each one like little names and some of them are, are make sense, like tree. I see the connection, but some of them are just very, you know, uh, uh, aesthetic and or ethereal. Um, uh, is there is there a, a method to your madness for uh, coming up with individual names for each of these pictures? Um, yeah, there's a method, and it is part madness. I think I just look at the image and just feel something, and then if I get kind of a word or a feeling, I might just type that into Google or type it into Translate or a million different things, thesaurus, and then uh, something usually jumps out. And then oftentimes I'm so married to that word, but other times it's just like, oh, yeah, that'll do. But there's no real kind of uh, <laughs> it, it's just something I started doing and now I've come too far that I cannot stop. Have you, have you repeated it like, you know, speculum four? <laughs> that's a good idea i might do that actually <laughs> uh for this i've just released a, a li limited edition series and i actually they're all just roman numerals so i'm really just you know bucking my own trend here and uh, okay all right okay we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to be talking gear and technique with ray collins stay tuned
We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For links to gear and more information on today's guests, check out the show notes in your podcast app or visit our homepage on the B&H Explorer website and join the B&H Photography Podcast Facebook group. And now, back to the show. We are back with Ray Collins all the way from Australia, the other side of the planet. This is amazing. And it sounds like he's right next door. Uh, anyway, um, we started to talk about cameras and using a Nikon D850, was it, or D810? Uh, both, but the D850 currently. Okay. Now, aside from camera gear, what's some of the stuff that you take in the water with you as far as uh, cameras, lenses, um, flash if you use them, and definitely uh, underwater housings? Because I know you void the warranty if you go into salt water with a, a Nikon DSLR. Yeah, you're not going to have a long career if uh, you take it. <laughs> you got to <laughs> shoot real fast. Into the, into the uh, salt water. <laughs> so uh, I mainly shoot primes, to be honest, from 14 to uh, 300. That's uh, my bread and butter, uh, 35, 50, 85, 105, the 135, and jump straight from 135 to the 300. But I've recently incorporated the 70 to 200 zoom which uh, I, I didn't use for a long time and I've found some flexibility in being able to zoom, which is really, really nice. Um, normally my fins, my flippers on my feet are my zoom. So if I need to get closer, I'll, you know, kick in or right. kick out. So, um, mm. And you have to determine what you're taking with you before you go in because you can't change lenses out there. It's like you have to, when you, before you go in, you're saying, okay, this is what I'm using and I'm going to have to work according to what this lens does within the parameters of what a wide angle would do or a, or, or a 300. You can't shoot the same way. Yeah, and it's kind of freeing because it takes all of the distraction and, you know, chattering of what you should and shouldn't do because you have to just do what you have. So it narrows down uh, what you can do, but it also, you know, cuts your thinking off from all the things that you uh you want to do, if that makes sense. I don't know. No, if no, as, as one of my teachers once said, uh, once you know what you can't do, everything else is possible. And it's the same thought things. Okay, here's my parameters. This is what it can do. This is what it cannot do. Let's do what it's best for. And that's what you look for. So that that is a freeing thing. And that goes not just for underwater photography or wave photography, even just walking down the street. Anyway, uh, I'm just babbling here. <laughs> but you take that 300 into the water with you too? I put a 1.4 uh, converter on it too. So I'm getting 420 uh, from the water, which, oh, wow. you know, it's, if you're if you're bobbing up and down and there's waves hitting you and you're getting sucked around reefs and over rocks and against you know cliff ledges if you move your hand or your eye and if you move your camera a couple of inches in your hand your field of view is moving 10 meters so it really is uh, uh an extreme crapshoot a, a, such a lucky kind of um and can you see through the viewfinder even yeah, you? you can. Um, it's just it's just all happening so quickly. Um, so with my water housing, I, I screw a, a plate into the bottom of the camera and I slide it into uh, the Aquatech housing. And with the, the housing, you you buckle the back plate on, and you have all your buttons line up uh, in order with the camera button. So you can basically use all the functions you would normally use on land. Uh, you can use all those in the water. There's a couple of um, custom uh, memory functions you need to kind of enable to get the most kind of uh, use out of it. But yeah, you're, you're basically having full control um, while being in a totally out of control place. Do you wear any kind of face protectors or anything? Because I imagine after a while of that that housing and camera getting smashed against your face, your nose gets pretty flat. I mean, seriously, you could hurt yourself because that's that's a bulky, hard item and you are, you're literally being thrown around in the water. I've got stitches uh, on every limb and every part of my body pretty much uh, from surfing and camera related stuff. Uh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely gets you because you're so focused, something that's uh, with a 300 mils, you, you're focused on something that's 50 meters away. So you're forgetting about your peripherals and then boom, you don't even get a chance to brace for it. You just, 
underwater, mm. just going like, what the hell just happened? You're minding your own business. All of a sudden, five tons of water comes down on you. Like, where'd that come from? Yeah, it's the only studio where it's, you know, the walls are caving in on you and it's literally <laughs> you know, trying to kill you while, you while you're trying to shoot your subject. <laughs> <laughs> and is is Aquatech what makes the uh, the housing for the lenses too? Even the three hundred, or you have to get that custom made? Yeah, so they've got ports and they they're threaded, so they screw on and off. And so if you're using a longer lens, you use a longer port uh, all the way down to a dome for a fisheye. They're all available at uh, B and H Photo, mind you. Um, so Where is that now? <laughs> it's a little mom and dad store in New York somewhere. Um, yeah, so. Um, Every camera, every lens setup, you have the option to uh, change your port system and get out there and, and use that combination in the water. Mm-hmm. And have you always used Aquatech? I don't want this to be just a big plug for them, but I know I used it for a little bit when we were doing some onset still photography. A lot of guys use that just to keep things quiet, like a, a blimp. Oh, yeah. Um, so Aquatech actually started uh, in the same community where I live. So they were the first oh, wow. introduction I had. And luckily enough, I've never needed to try uh, anyone else. So Actually, that's that's the brand that I used too. When I was shooting uh, with a Sony uh, A7R and a, a 21 millimeter lens, I had one of their smaller soft ones and it wasn't expensive. It was very easy to use and I got great results. I had a lot of fun with it. I really, really did. So they make some serious stuff, but even their inexpensive products... Um, you can do some good stuff with it. You know what I have a lot of fun with is their uh, iPhone housing. I, I'm out there all the time shooting slow-mo of waves and, you know, calling people and trying not to look at emails. But it, it's, it's amazing <laughs> that, you, that you have that uh, option in this day and age to take your phone out with such, you know, good optics and uh, ability in this tiny little box. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to be able to do that. What's the story with flash now uh, when you're working out there? Because, uh, I mean, again, I used it very limitedly when I was shooting. And I found out that it was just, I was getting a lot of kickback. Well, because also the flash was right on uh, the camera in line with the lens. But I found that it was, I, I got better results without using a flash. What, what, what's your experience? And, and when, when do you put a flash on if you do? Yeah, flash is, it's real hard. It's actually an area that I really want to grow in. Uh, it's a, I, I see it as, uh, it has a lot of room to grow so I can be more competent in it. But I use an SB910 and it's got its own housing, which sits on the housing. So you basically, um, you're swimming with a, a pillowcase full of bricks. That, that's the kind of weight we're talking about here. And uh, so to, in order to lift the camera out of the water, to take the photo, to lift it up to your eye, you're, you're furiously kicking to tread water, to lift your chest out of the water just to compose the shot. Um, so it's not for the faint-hearted. And with the light changing so much, I find it's best to use in the very late afternoon um, in Australia because in the morning it's kind of useless after 15 minutes once that sun rises. There's kind of almost no use for it. Um, but yeah, it's a journey and I'm pretty happy to walk down that road and, and learn more about it. Do you drag your shutter when you're using flash when it's low, low light uh, to compensate, to let, no, to let the background come in a little bit? Do you play around with that at all? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, and, and that's, uh, the magic and the beauty of it is you kind of, you're just creating, uh, something that hasn't happened and you, you're really open to interpretation and, um, yeah, with that slower shutter and then the flash just freezing it, you get these really crazy light kind of tails and just stuff that you wouldn't normally see in a wave that you would just, you know, walk past and not even think about. But being able to freeze it and uh, and to view it in real time, it's it's a it's a pretty cool thing. How, how long can you drag that shutter before it starts looking just a little bit too sloppy? I know because it's probably a very short window. We're talking about long exposures, but a long exposure might be a 15th of a second. What are we talking about here? Yeah, I go, I go 15th is, is pretty, pretty good. Even a 10th is, is all right, but it depends on where you are and what lens you're using and what the waves are doing. If they're big, slow, long waves and you're on land, you can, you can open up to a second and get that and just track it and get that beautiful kind of, uh, flowing kind of hair, like mane off the back of it. And, um, yeah, I, I love, um, experimenting with slower shutter speeds and, um, yeah, that's kind of, all part of the fun really. And how often do you, uh, do you shoot from, you know, from out of the water? I mean, I saw some images of you shooting from a helicopter, right? And, uh, I assume you've also shot from your surfboard or boats or maybe not. Uh, yeah. Talk about no, that totally. a bit? So, um, the, 
the vantage point of looking down on a wave from from the air, like I, I have used drones and stuff, but there's there's nothing better than being up in there personally and you know using a seventy to two hundred or whatever and and just focusing on a on an exact part of the wave, not getting the whole picture, but just the picture you want to show. I think that's uh, pretty invaluable, and I've spent a lot of time um, in the air the last couple of years, just um, yeah, getting a feel for it and wanting to consistently and constantly evolve in my work um, so I can show new stuff to people and create new things. Hmm. And what about when you're when you're shooting surfers or, or even not, maybe shooting waves? I think I saw you using a boogie board or do you use anything to keep you afloat, anything specific? Yeah, um, a boogie board is a really kind of useful tool because it doesn't have any hard edges. You can still get under the waves, but you, then you get that buoyancy and you can rest uh, and you can just, mm. even when you're getting, because some of the places like they're a kilometer out to sea, so you've got to swim out to them and just being able to put the, the water housing on top of the board and just use it as a kickboard is, is, is really uh, valuable for preserving energy and, you know, not getting sore shoulders and neck. So you'd be yeah, exhausted that, if you didn't have that platform underneath it. I was looking in that video, it's like you're straddling this board. So it's like you're you're, you're above the water from like mid chest up. And I could see that without that, you're just, you're working furiously just to stay afloat. Literally you need that underneath you. Yeah. Some places though, it, it is a hindrance because you're constantly going under the waves and it's hard to pull, you know, uh, a 42 inch slab of floating foam through the wave and not have that thing pull you back like a drag car parachute. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. you you really you the housing, to, I'm sorry. Will the housing keep it afloat? The housing was that kind of slightly positive, so it won't sink. Yeah. Um, but in order yeah. to use it, you have to lift it out of the water in most cases. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm still kind of curious about like when you like the choice of lenses. Do you? I mean, everything's different for whatever you decide to do. But you know, anywhere between a 14 and a 300, will you just kind of say? All right, today's a fort. I feel like I'm gonna, you know, go fisheye and trying to get inside those waves. Is that your decision, unless it's an assignment or something? Yeah, no, it's totally just how I feel, and and my previous experience with whatever wave I'm shooting. Because once you learn the characteristics, mm-hmm. then you can kind of put your own uh, spin on things. So, yeah, it is a, a decision that you kind of make uh, either you know way before it or the morning of or whatever. But uh, yeah, like right. I said, I'm glad you brought that up. About, but do you, do you really feel that you know certain waves? You know enough to know. Okay, I, you know I know what you're going to do, and I'm going to I'm going to come back and try and get you the next time. You know, totally, totally. That totally happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's That's all cool. the missed shots. The 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 ones that I just got, but they were slightly out of focus or misframed. They're the ones that keep you coming back, but no one ever sees them, but they're the kind of driving force to be like, okay, man, I was so close. I'm going to try again yeah. with that same lens or I'm going to get one that's a little bit wider and I'm going to attempt that same shot again. Never happens. It never, you never get the same thing, but you get something. Well, one thing I wanted to ask real quick before we maybe get into some post-process is, uh, you know, a lot of your, my favorite shots are in what looks like weather. You know, it's not a beautiful sunny day. You have, you may even have rain going. I don't know, but you get those dark, you know, the grays and, and the silvers and, uh, the, you know, it's just incredible to me. Do you like shooting in, in those conditions and, and how is it shooting out in the rain? Oh, I absolutely love it. There's just seeing those dark, ominous clouds just pierce open even slightly and these fingers of light just coming down and touching the ocean. That That is my ideal dream light. And uh, we're actually heading into winter in Australia here and these mornings are starting to happen more often and it's like greeting an old friend. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, they're, my, they're my ultimate conditions. When people are, you know, getting in their cars and leaving the ocean to go home, that's when I'm running down. When a, we, we get these things called southerly busters in the afternoons and it can be a beautiful day, blue sky day all day. Then in the afternoon, this big kind of black storm front rolls through and, uh they're, they're moments I never want to miss. Uh, watching, you know, lightning and hearing the rumble while you're swimming is is pretty pretty cool. It makes you feel pretty small and uh, appreciative of what you're witnessing. Hmm. Do you like to have people around you at all or you usually just go by yourself? Uh, I generally go by myself. Um, some hmm. places I like to have a spotter with me just so they can kind of yell out uh, if the waves yeah. are coming behind the wave that I can't see. So that's 
pretty important um, for safety reasons. But generally, I'm just by myself, and sometimes I don't even push a button. I, I might not even shoot. I, I'll just float and go. Okay, well, today didn't happen, but I'm still glad I went in the ocean. Mm. I feel like it was a reset, <laughs> and uh, I'm ready to load up on coffee. There must, there must be a. I mean, you, with Aquatech being there, and and obviously a lot of surfing. Is there a good surf photography community? I mean, do you have a lot of peers working around? Um. Well, we're an hour south of Sydney, right? So we have the hustle and bustle of Australia's busiest city an hour away, but it's buffeted by the Royal National Park, which is this second oldest national park in the world behind Yellowstone. And having that natural kind of containment doesn't let the spread of people come down. But we do have uh, since, uh, I feel like in the last couple of years, there is a wave photography, quote unquote, scene unfolding, which is basically what I noticed from it is uh, maybe a sphere of influence that kind of gets passed out and then to other people that gets passed out. But I can kind of see some of my own work in it and it kind of used to hmm. used to really derail me mentally a little bit, but I feel like now it's, uh, it's my gift to people to show them and then if they want to kind of mimic it or run with it or expand on it, then I'm, I'm totally all open with that. And, uh, yeah, it's the gift, uh, I can give and, and receive back. So, um, yeah. That's great. A, a lot of your photographs look like they were processed posts. Uh, there's a lot of drama that goes on in there. Uh, now I know also if you're shooting in storms and it's sunrise and sunset, there is an awful lot of drama, especially when you're being surrounded by, you know, tons of water flying around you. Um, but do you take any kind of special measures afterwards to pump it a little bit more? Are there any software applications you like or filter systems that you like that, uh, just add that extra little touch to your photographs? So first and foremost, I'm trying to do as much as I can in the box that I'm using while I'm pushing the button. The more I do there, uh, the easier it is, uh, down the track. So with the changes of perspective and even just getting like sinking a little bit to get on the water's edge, I find mm -hmm. that that itself will do so much more than uh, trying to do something similar down the track. But I guess I'm just browsing through bridge, then I'm opening up an ACR. I'm going through uh, all the sliders, the um, white balance and, you know, sharpening it, adding a bit of contrast and yeah, I, I tr like sometimes, you know how it is, you can spend hours removing dust spots and all that stuff on one image, or you can just basically bump the contrast up five points and, and you're on your way. So sometimes I'm spending a lot of time just trying to get things really perfect and, and cloning out little distracting kind of droplets. And other times there's literally nothing to do but convert it from a, a raw to a, a TIFF. Now, you do all of your own uh, processing and, and printing. Do you do everything in-house or do you send it out? Um, I have a lab that's uh, half an hour away and I spend a lot of time down there um, just doing test prints and just changing blacks and stuff. So, Because for me, the image exists when it's printed in its physical form and to have and hold and, and see the textures in it, that's, that's the end result for me. Uh, the internet is great for sharing, but the image uh, is alive. It's more than zeros and ones once it's been physically printed, whether it's on a book or um, as a fine art print. Now, speaking of zeros and ones, you, you just circled back to what I wanted to come to. Early on, we mentioned the fact that you're colorblind. Now, you're having a lab print your work. Do, do you think much about the fact that what you are seeing and what uh, uh, a majority of the rest of the people who are not colorblind are seeing is different. Do you uh, have any kind of reference colors that you go to or reference points that you go to? Or when you print, are you merely going for the numbers, which is how you can calculate color if you understand the numbering system of colors? It's a bit of all of that. But the final check that I have before the image goes live is the my wife's eyes. <laughs> I, she'll be like, because I mentioned before we went on air that she's uh, she's from California, so she'll she'll look at the image and she, she's. Let me just uh, start by saying she's the exact opposite of me in every way. She's like structured and purposefully driven and you know she has like spreadsheets and stuff whereas i'm just waking up <laughs> and just you know uh, bouncing around <laughs> she's and, 
she doesn't really go in the ocean at all. So, uh, okay. what I do is I do all the work I can. I get it to where I think it's looking okay, and I show her, and she'll just be like, "No, uh, uh-uh, that's got too much purple in it. That doesn't look real." And I'm like, "Oh, no emotion, no like, oh, that looks so nice. It's just the one kind of glaring fault, and and that's what I need. I need to be just you know smacked uh, across the head and kind of just put into this uh, uh, way of looking at the images with no emotion. So she, she's kind of the, the last kind of line of defense before I release it into the world, because I don't want to uh, have some technicolor dream coat of puke. Uh, in puke. <laughs> Psychedelic waves. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about, what about cropping and, and like, you know, just pulling out one detail because, you know, this is kind of, I don't know how to say it, but, you know, really maybe part and process of, of the whole time that you're looking at the ocean. I mean, do you have a, a philosophy that you say, you know, I'm not going to crop or I'm not going to just pluck that detail out and make that the image? It, it's an evolving thing. Uh, I, I was someone who has really enhanced the way I look at images is a photographer called Tim Flack. I'm not sure if you've uh, heard of him. He's shot uh, a lot of stuff for National Geographic and BBC. He's uh, He lives in London. And, and I was in a photo expo with him in Germany and we had a few days where we were just riding bikes and, and eating um, hot dogs and stuff. And, and I was so fortunate to have one of the m- most creative minds in photography just input stuff about composition and I, and we would walk into galleries and he would just break down photos in front of me in real time of why it works why the left side of your brain uh when you scan it from left to right you want your eyes want to discover certain things in an image and once i learned some of these kind of techniques and uh fundamental rules of uh how we process uh things with our eyes i really found that uh the possibilities were limitless. Like he kind of explained, he showed me uh, Rembrandt photos and uh, just all old art through the ages and just showed me the principles that overlap constantly and from the earliest art to now through photography. So, yeah, he, he, Tim Flack was instrumental in the way that I um, compose and uh, break down images um, for the viewer to kind of play around with with their own eyes. Did I just but, ramble? Like, <laughs> no, no, I love no, that input. No, I, I, but, no, no, but, no, it, but, no, no. And, and again, you don't even have to answer really. But just the idea of cropping is not is not really an issue. I mean, if you if you if you feel like you can shave off part of a, an image and make it stronger, why not? Totally, yeah. I, I will I will crop to yeah. suit. I will rotate. I'll uh, I'll mm-hmm. I'll muck around with it. The it, it, it has no rule. I'll flip it uh, horizontally. Yeah. Just whatever I feel like enhances the image enhances the moment enhances the emotion uh the power yeah. i will i'll do it you want to talk a little bit about you know some some of your business practices real quickly in terms of uh you know how you sell a lot of prints uh you're still doing editorial work you work in advertising how do you kind of balance everything so um I have reached where I am organically I haven't had any kind of planned uh processes moving forward but i i guess looking at a breakdown year to year it would be probably 40 to 60 percent licensing for uh images for brands and companies to use uh i'm fortunate to have some really good clients uh who you know i I have fairly regular work with but other than that yeah my books which go through amazon in the states and uh through my website here they're always ticking over and um yeah my effort and time goes into prints though that's um that's where it's at for me um yeah, that I would fluctuate. imagine that you have a large uh, following amongst uh, corporate uh, uh, art collectors and corporate bars because your stuff is perfect for that. It's powerful, and everybody kind of relates to these sort of images. Am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, no, you're pretty right. What's also interesting is that a lot of my work is bought in Germany. <laughs> really? Hmm. Yeah. So, any idea why? It must be something to do with. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, I look at them as a kind of advanced in art, if that makes sense, but they don't have an, they don't have an ocean like a lot of other places do. So I find that really kind of uh, interesting. But, yeah, behind US and Australia, Germany is the third highest kind of 
buyer of my my work. So um, still trying to work it out, but uh, I, I, get, I end up going there every year for some reason or another, and um, and I, and I, I love uh, Germany and I love the people and the, the place as well. So. And do you reserve certain images for, you know, let's say for like fine art or for gallery type of exhibition and, and you, you say to yourself, you know, this is something that is, that stands out to a degree or, or is it all kind of works in any, any way you want it to? Up until recently, it has all worked in any way. Um, but I've just been cherry picking the very, very best or the most weirdest unique images and just not showing anyone and just putting them in a just putting them away and not thinking about them and just revisiting them every kind of six months and just seeing where we're at with that. So I guess there is long-term projects that are happening. I've, I'm doing one now during this COVID thing where, because we're not, we're not really allowed to leave our postcodes, uh, but I'm just, I've got the Nikon 800 mil with a 1.2 converter. So I've just been uh, shooting a lot of stuff with that, some weird compression and uh, really sharp bits and really out of focus bits. And with the reach of the 800, it's absolutely incredible. And it's changed the way that I view my local area where I've grown up just because of uh, how much detail it can show so far away, looking so close. Uh, it's It's been really, you know, th- this whole virus has been incredibly hard on the world but there's i feel like there's heaps of good points that we can uh, choose to focus on on the back of this thing uh going forward as well so that's what i've trying to be doing is just staying busy and working on new stuff um yeah that's great yeah that's great and do you shoot anything besides the ocean i mean do you do you you know when you go up the mountains do you shoot there or not uh, I have, like I've done, uh, weddings and all of that stuff when I was cutting my teeth. Um, right. yeah, but it's, it, it's my one love. It really is. It's the one constant in my life and it's the obvious for sure in the subject matter for, for me. Uh, Ray, it was terrific talking with you. Uh, if people want to see more of your work, uh, um, where should they go to websites, Instagram, what's the addresses? Yeah. So if you would like to know more about my work, just uh, Google my name, Ray Collins, or my website's Ray Collins Photo, which is also my Instagram handle, Twitter handle, uh, Facebook handle. So Ray Collins Photo. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been uh, my pleasure to, to chat with you this morning. Um, and hopefully we can do it again sometime or we can meet in person uh, when all this stuff is over. Okay. Yes. Again, you have an open invite. Uh, we'll buy you a, a coffee and donuts. We promise you. Excellent. And also, uh, Ray, uh, you have two books that are out there. The names of the books are? Uh, Found at Sea and Water and Light. Uh, you can get them on Amazon or on my website, raycollinsphoto.com. Okay. And they, again, gorgeous, gorgeous work. It's really terrific stuff. And uh, Ray, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, in the meantime, if you are tired of having to run down to the newsstand every Thursday night to pick up the latest edition of the b Photography Podcast, I got good news for you. If you head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts and sign up, you can tell the dog to start walking himself because you have a new podcast to listen to. For now, until next week, on behalf of John and Jason, my name is Alan Weitz, and as always, thank you so much for joining us today.